Welcome to Doing the World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, shining the light of the positive works of our members and supporters. I'm your host, Bob Norp. When it comes to inspiring others to make a difference in the world, Shark Yusufzai is truly a shining beacon in our industry. As a top executive at Chevron for some 42 years, Shark has helped shape many of the company's initiatives into education, diversity, economic development, and infrastructure improvement. His visionary leadership has earned him honors all across the industry, and now as Chevron's Vice President of Global Diversity, Ombuds, and University Relations, he remains committed to promoting the ways in which chemical engineering enhances individual lives. Welcome, Shark. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, my pleasure to have you on the program. So you're the Vice President of Diversity. That's a fascinating role, a fascinating title. Tell us a little bit more about what you do. Well, at its very highest, global diversity is about making sure that Chevron is an aspirational destination of for the best and brightest. And uh, by becoming a welcoming place and an inclusive place, uh, and we manage our relationships with a lot of external organizations like the NAACP, the National Organization for the La Raza. We manage our relations with over 100 universities and associations around the globe. And internally, we use data to form insights and insights to create action uh, in order to make Chevron a uh, leader in the area of diversity and inclusion in, now that's um, that, that's something uh, fascinating in our industry, but uh, around the globe in uh, in corporate uh, in the corporate world. Now it's interesting. You talk about insights into action. That's that's um, a very directed approach. I mean, it's something that is not just about good ideas. It's about actually taking action in the community and in the um, organization. Is that correct? Yeah, it all starts with data, and uh, nearly every member of our group uh, has a business background. I was president of global marketing for Chevron for seven years, and before that, I ran our lubricants business, and most of my leadership team is made up of business leaders. So we all start with data, uh, and we have a saying that unless we have good data, we really cannot form good insights. But Good data is useless unless it leads to insights, and insights are useless unless they lead to action. So it's not, it starts with data, but that's just the beginning. But uh, just like operational excellence, earnings per share, safety performance, diversity and inclusion uh, has to have metrics. And as an organization that is based on analytics and a lot of data analysis, we treasure what we measure. And we measure diversity and inclusion along a whole host of aspects. We measure the success of our recruiting relative to benchmarks. We uh, look at our attrition rate. We look at our executive succession uh, pool. We look at the diversity of our pipeline. So all of these things uh, basically uh, can be boiled down to one thing. Diversity and inclusion is part and parcel of our business strategy. Hmm, that's 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 a really great way to put it. Um, and it's interesting that you you make such a point about data and analytics being essential for diversity. Um, why is that? Why do you need to make sure that the statistics are measuring up? Well, well, you know, uh, oftentimes people 
talk about diversity and inclusion as the right thing to do or the moral thing to do or something altruistic. It certainly is all of that. But we became very, very clear that a diverse organization and an inclusive organization is also a high-performing organization. And while you can cost-cut your way temporarily to prosperity, and maybe you can even spend your way through a lot of R&D to prosperity, ultimately, those two things will not get you there. To create sustainable advantage, you have to have an innovative organization. And the data are very clear that innovation is directly related to diversity and inclusion. So if you want to create a high-performing organization that performs, uh, regardless of how you measure performance, whether it's return on capital employed, return on shareholder equity, earnings per share, earnings per barrel in our case, uh, and there's study after study, including a a very uh, interesting study that was done by Cornell that shows that diversity and inclusion uh, directly leads to ingenuity and innovation. And at the end of the day, innovation is the only way to create sustainable competitive advantage. So we considered this as part of our business imperative and not just something extra. Now, diversity and inclusion is obviously more than just a job for you because it's in your title. I mean, why, why such a passion for this subject? Why are you personally so invested in in embracing this role that they've been given to you? Because I can see that as a big driver of sustainable business success. And uh, when I was president of global marketing, uh, as our team grew more diverse over time and we created uh, various forums for inclusion uh, and employee engagement, uh, it became very clear that engaged employees create discretionary effort and innovative effort. And that leads to business prosperity and that leads to high performing organizations. So while it is a passion of mine uh, from a heart perspective, my head is in also in the game because it leads to, to big, better business performance. So it's not just a, a question of uh, just hearts, but it's also a question of engaging minds. And, and, and uh, it, it, to me, is, is absolutely necessary for sustained business performance. You know, that's, that, that's a fascinating point, sustained business performance. Many would still counter that change is happening already, making these programs nice to have but not critical to the business. How, how do you respond to that, um, to people who say that the change is coming, diversity and inclusion is happening, um, uh, but it's not happening fast enough for you, I would assume. You know, you, you are looking at the data and you're saying that this needs to be much more of a focus within the organization. Is that correct? Well, you know, we are very pleased but not uh, satisfied where we are. So you may be aware that Chevron won the Catalyst Award in 2015 for being a company that really stood out in promoting women to the corner suite. Uh, we were recognized for having diversity action plans that were part and parcel of our performance review program for everyone from the chairman down. We were recognized for promoting women into uh, areas of profit and loss activity and to senior positions. Uh, Even today, our chief financial officer uh, is a woman. Our chief procurement officer is a woman. Our chief HRO is a woman. So we're very, very happy with the progress we've made. 
but we're certainly not satisfied. Uh, you know, just recently, uh, our board, which consists of 12 people, uh, went to four women on the board, including two African-American women, which is a first for uh, our industry. Uh, and so we're very proud of that. But the, the point of the fact is that when it comes to people of color, industry as a whole still needs uh, to move the needle. Uh, in our industry, where engineering represents a disproportionate share of the number of people coming into our companies, African Americans in schools of engineering have been stuck at 4% for the last 20 years. Uh, and uh, Now, why is that? Why, why is there such a stagnation in terms of um, people of color getting into the engineering fields? Um, are, are they... Um, not entering into the fields to begin with? Or are they dropping out? What, what's, what's blocking? Yeah, there's a whole host of reasons, and it's not just people of color. It also applies to women. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me start there first. Uh, the number of women that are college graduates uh, in the U.S., uh, the percentage is about 57% versus a population of about 51%. And if you look at every discipline, you look at veterinary medicine, which is somewhere between 80 and 81% female in terms of graduates, majority female for doctors, physical scientists, uh, very close to equity in geosciences and earth sciences. The one exception is engineering. And in engineering, the number of women that entered uh, schools of engineering in 2004 or percentage-wise was 24%, and it dropped to 17%. It's had an uptick of 19%. Among all of the professions, engineering brings up the rear, with the exception of computer science and the number of women as a percentage of that discipline. And what? we have tried to examine the root causes of that, and we organized a summit that AICHE sponsored at Texas A&M, together with an organization called True Blue Inclusion and Intel, to try to examine what the root causes were. And there are several, and there'll be a white paper that will be published on that. But that is an issue for organizations that depend on engineers. The absence of role models and support groups uh, for African-Americans and Hispanics is probably one contributing force. And Chevron has invested over $130 million in the last uh, 10 years in STEM programs uh, for uh, youth in K through 12 and in community colleges. And we became concerned so much with that that we've piloted a program in Texas with Texas A&M where we partnered with four community colleges which are about 80% diverse to create pathways from mentorship and sponsorship and financial aid to put Texas A&M faculty at these community colleges to ease their way into uh, Texas A&M uh, and also to retain them. And the initial numbers are very, very good. So for example, Pell Grants, about 23% of all college graduates get Pell Grants, but the Chevron scholars at these academies, 62% have got Pell Grants. Uh, Compared to 4% African-Americans in schools of engineering, the Chevron scholars are 19% African-Americans. Compared to 14% uh, 
Hispanics in the schools of engineering in Texas, the Chevron academies produce almost 36%. And compared to 19% women, uh, we have about 49% in our cohort. So in our own way, we're making, making some progress. Now, out of all the initiatives that you're, you're putting into play, what's the most effective way to combat these root problems? I mean, it's just like you, you've said things like mentorship, sponsorship. Um, you know, is, is that key, Put it, pairing somebody with um, an established person in the industry and giving them the support that they need to succeed? Or is it, are you finding other types of initiatives being more successful? What, what? I, I think there's no single solution. Uh, you know, there are cultural reasons, there are financial reasons, there are family reasons, there are uh, reasons of not being prepared that all have to be addressed. So uh, we have uh, come up with several reasons why people of color and women uh, are not successful uh, in, in terms of retention at colleges of engineering. So, for example, even after women graduate from college, uh, about 40% are no longer engineers in five years. And we need to understand why that is. Is this part of the culture? Is it part of uh, unconscious bias? Is this uh, lack of role models? Uh, A lot of scholarship has been expended of this. I don't think there's one single answer. It's all of those. And all of those uh, have to be part of a multi-pronged, multi-year, multi-faceted approach to attack. And AICHE and the American Society of Engineering Education and the deans of engineering and industry, uh, NGOs, uh, all have to work together to address this issue. What is interesting relative to the number of women in our profession is this is strictly a U.S. phenomenon. If you look at the BRIC countries, uh, women make up about 50% or so of these schools of engineering. So something is happening in the U.S. that is causing women to not choose engineering as a discipline. And even those that start in engineering, 40% of them are no longer engineers within five years. So we need to understand why that is. And an obvious steps to remedy it. Right. Uh, and obviously your reliance on the data will help you get there. So it makes a lot of sense. Now, mentorship, obviously, as we were mentioning, plays a big role for a lot of this success of people coming into this field. Um, beyond the recruiting and education challenges. But tell me, who were your own role models and why did you choose chemical engineering as your career path? Uh, Give us a little insight into your own background. Well, you know, I come from a family of doctors. Uh, My dad was a a doctor. My mom was a doctor. I have a lot of doctors in my family. And it was um, assumed that I would become a doctor, but I really had more of a passion for Uh, math and science than I did for biology, although I was uh, interested in it. And at the time, chemical engineering, uh, to me, was uniquely suited as a profession to solve the grand challenges of the world. And that remains true today. Uh, It's true uh, whether you're talking about drinking water or development of the next uh, uh, genome sequence or development of the next uh, pharma breakthrough uh, and or creating a process breakthrough or a technological breakthrough. 
Uh, and chemical engineering with its process approach also is very, very uh, good as a training ground for future management. So that's why I chose chemical engineering as a profession. Once I became a chemical engineer, there were several people that had an influence on my life. I started out at our Port Arthur, Texas refinery, and this is in 1975, and the chief operator of the, the unit that uh, I was assigned to was a gen gentleman named Mr. Shelton Forrest, who was an African-American. Uh, and he guided me through uh, various obstacles and provided great wisdom for me as I became one of the very few uh, people of color that was a process engineer at that refinery uh, 42 years ago. And his approach of being very, very cognizant of seeing things through other people's eyes and understanding and communicating and collaboration in terms of problem solving and inclusion was something that, that I've always carried with me. And so fast forward to 2008, uh, I had become president of global marketing and I had the opportunity to sit down for about an hour and a half with Nelson Mandela in uh, in Cape Town. No way, uh, really? You you sat down with Nelson Mandela? Yes, and, and in fact, it was in Joburg. Uh, we had uh, supported the Nelson Mandela Foundation with uh, some funds to combat AIDS uh, in South Africa. And uh, our chairman of South Africa... Uh, James Sutlodi, who was the first African-American chairman of Chevron South Africa, uh, and I went to see Nelson Mandela. And the next day, I was going to address a town hall of about 600 of our employees in Cape Town. And this was in Joburg. And we called him Madiba. And we said, I said to Madiba, I said, you know, I'm going to be talking to 600 of my colleagues the next day. What message would you like me to give them? And he said, very similar to what Shelton had said to me almost 40 years before that, he said, tell them to get an education. And not just a formal education, but an education that teaches you to walk in another person's shoes and understand that there are viewpoints and through collaboration and cooperation and absolute lack of rancor, do you really fully get educated and remember Without education, you lack the moral compass to lead. Mm. And so that has stayed with me, uh, uh, even though it's a much more recent uh, event than years ago when I first started in Port Arthur with Mr. Shelton Forrest. Well, I want to move on a little bit and talk about the, uh, the American Institute of Chemical Engineers Foundation. You currently serve as vice chair of the AICHE Foundation and are very involved in the Doing a World of Good campaign. How do you envision this program helping your core mission? What, what's your hopes for this, um, this particular initiative? Well, I think the Doing a World of Good campaign positions AICHE as a convening power to bring together people from academia, from industry, from NGOs, from parastatals, from governments, uh, to work together using chemical engineering principles and process principles to solve the grand challenges of the world. 
that is at its very highest. And what it translates to is solving issues like clean drinking water and non-proliferation of contagious diseases and infrastructure development and uh, minority affairs uh, support through our uh, Minority Affairs Committee, which does make chemical engineering and has the ability to make chemical engineering an even more diverse and inclusive uh, discipline, which then leads to uh, greater performance. And ultimately, if you look at, for example, uh, the role of the AICHE Foundation from a very macro level, I go back to 1979. Between 1979 and 2009, the GDP of the U.S., grew an unprecedented 25%. And it grew primarily because of the number of women entering uh, the workforce. And that GDP growth was equivalent to today's GDP of California, Illinois, and New York combined. Unprecedented. Mm. Going forward, in order to sustain a 3% growth in just the U.S., uh, the number of people uh, that will be gainfully employed is not going to increase. Uh, and GDP, quite you know, simplistically, is the uh, is the function of the number of people gainfully employed times their productivity. So, if the number of people that are not uh, that are entering the workforce is not increasing, their productivity has to increase. And the way that productivity increases is through diversity and inclusion, because that leads to innovation, and innovation leads to higher productivity. So, at its very highest. The doing a world of good is essential to create prosperity, not only in America and the world. Two billion people in the world live on a dollar a day. They have hopes, they have aspirations for both health and prosperity and education and economics. At its very highest, the doing the world of good campaign accelerates the growth and development of these people. Uh, and that that's a super important thing, both for the the well-being of the planet, but also for the growth and prosperity of the industry. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, one last question before we we close up here: What is the biggest challenge for the chemical and engineer, um, energy sectors going forward, and and how do we face it? Um, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think being part of the overall equation to solve the grand challenges of the world, I need to. Uh, make sure that my colleagues understand that chemical engineering is part and parcel of the solution. And our approach, our discipline process approach to solving problems is tried and true, but it also is very innovative. And in order for us to solve the challenges that we talked about earlier in this podcast, we all need to collaborate. So having a seat at the table and contributing is very, very important to chemical engineering and the chemical engineering uh, discipline and profession. Well, that's words to live by here. And thank you very much for spending time with us today, Shark. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much. Now, our guest today has been Shark Yusufzai. To find out more about what we discussed and to get involved in the Doing a World of Good campaign, Visit AICHE.org slash giving to see how you can help.
Well, that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit AICHE.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Norp. Thanks for listening. Thank you.